I'm Nick Healy, your host of Just Words. Now, we at 2SER wanted to thank you for all of your support throughout this series, where we went beyond the hype and headlines of the Racial Discrimination Act and dug uh, down a little bit on what 18C actually is and what this little piece of law does for our community. If you're listening now, you're one of the 20,000 people who have downloaded an episode, well, so far. Now, this will be our last episode of Just Words, and yes, we've said it before, but this time we really, really mean it. In fact, we're so sure it's the final episode because it's already happened. Recently, we broke out of the 2SER studios and headed down the road to our friends at 107 Projects in Redfern, Sydney, for the Audiocraft Just Words live event. And we were overwhelmed by the fact that over 100 of you decided to turn up and sit in the dark and listen to us make a podcast right before your very eyes. Now, the final episode was a great way for us to look back on the series we've created. Uh, We heard from some familiar voices and some that were brand new to the series. And of course, if you turned up on the night, you got to see me dressed up as a judge or perhaps a cocker spaniel. It really wasn't clear at any point what that wig was doing. We're here at 2SER Radio People, so the thought of leaving the comfort of our Broadway studios and actually being able to see you, the listener, and have you see us was pretty terrifying. But we're really glad we did it. And now here for your listening enjoyment, for better or worse, is the result of that evening. Thanks if you came along, and for those of you just catching up now, I really like to think you're in for a bit of a treat. So for the very last time, this is Just Words, the live event. Good evening and a very big welcome to 107 Projects. Uh, Tonight masquerading as 107.3 Projects as we at radio station 2SER take it over for this Audiocraft listening event. Like any good podcast, we're going to give you a language warning. You are going to be hearing swearing and you're going to hear some very, very full-on racial slurs as well. And don't forget, we're radio people. We don't do theatre. We've got scripts and we're going to be working off scripts. Now, for the next hour or so, uh, we're looking at something that both sides of the partisan fence have latched onto as an integral part of how this country conducts the debate of our national identity. It's been described as the newest front in Australia's culture wars, although in fairness, it's usually only us at 2SER who describe it that way. It's loathed by the right, beloved by the left, and mostly misunderstood by everybody, especially anyone who's got a subscription to the Oz. I am, of course, speaking of Section 18C, of the Racial Discrimination Act. Just words. Just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time? Hello, my name's Nick Healy and I am your host for this Audiocraft live event where we record the final episode of 2SER's first original podcast series, Just Words. Now for this special event we've brought together the best of the series and we're going to be chatting about what we learnt from making Just Words. Now across all the episodes we've been exploring the stories of Section 18C and for anyone who needs a refresher, please feel free to chant along... 18C is the part of our Racial Discrimination Act that makes it unlawful to offend, insult, humiliate or intimidate someone because of their race. Thank you so much. Um, look, you'll never know how much, how much debate happened at 2SER trying to boil down 18C to one sentence. 
now, this section of our Racial Discrimination Act has received really quite an extraordinary amount of attention over the past six years. In fact, so much attention, you could argue, that the debate has gone on to obfuscate the real reason for the section's existence in the first place. Now, 18C has been described as... Identity politics. And also a... Social engineering program. And part of the... Curse of political correctness. Right here in Australia. Now, it may not be a huge surprise to anyone, but those quotes all came from this chap, Mr Mark Latham, who recently decided to compound being fired from Sky News by joining the Liberal Democrats. Uh, That's him kind of questioning every decision that's ever led to him doing this. But it's not... Not everyone involved in Australian politics has been so disparaging of 18C. It's also been called... Landmark legislation. And... An effective safety net, offering a safeguard to people who may be the subject of racial violence and racial vilification. And even... Totally valid to ensure not so much absolute freedom of speech, but fair speech, consistent with the values of tolerance and understanding. Now, of course, what's a little remarkable is those comments were also made by Mark Latham when he so passionately defended 18C back in 1994. Apparently 23 years can make a hell of a difference. Racial tolerance is an essential part of any civilised community. In a multicultural nation such as Australia, it must be an essential part of our values, aspirations and indeed the laws of the nation. This is indeed landmark legislation. It represents an important landmark in Australia's transformation from an inward-looking monocultural society to an outward-looking, tolerant, confident, multicultural society. Last century and in the first half of this century, Australian society displayed some of the most unacceptable features of monoculturalism and racial intolerance. And those of us who understand that history will appreciate the need to be vigilant in this nation to make sure that those values of Australian tolerance and egalitarianism are expressed expressed in a a multicultural society in the fashion envisaged by this legislation. Now, just look at him. I mean, he's so young, so dynamic and so handsome. It's amazing. Anyway, tonight we're going to be asking whether 18C is an important legal provision that protects people from vilification or if it's just political correctness and progressive thinking gone too far at the cost of free speech. Now, clearly we're going to be tackling this really quite complex and important topic with the same kind of rigorous system that your Year 9 social studies teacher would have come up with to keep you occupied for a period. We're going to be holding a mock trial. Uh, <laughs> But before we put ourselves in contempt of the court of good taste, let's get some more background on this hallowed and or hollowed piece of legislation. Here's a little refresher on why we made this series, and it's probably not going to surprise you that it starts with Malcolm Roberts and David Lionhelm. Barry, you can call me short, you can call me fat, you can call me a Queenslander, you can call me a a cane toad, whatever you want to call me. The only person who decides whether I'm upset is me. I agree with Malcolm. If you want to take offence, that's your choice. You have the choice of choosing another feeling. Offence is always taken, not given. So if you don't want to be offended, you, it's up to you. Don't be offended. That's, that's it. You know, we're not responsible for the feelings of other people. None of us are. Right now, if you simply offend or insult someone on the grounds of race, you can be sued and banned. I know. ADNC is being defended by self-appointed representatives of Armenian, Hellenic, Indian, Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese, Jewish, Lebanese Muslim and Arab groups. 
We have self-appointed representatives of Jewish Australians wanting to suppress Holocaust denialism. Labor and the Greens are doing the bidding of these self-appointed representatives in the hope of votes from the various immigrant groups. And in the process, they are selling out Western values. Andrew Bolt held me up as the poster child for the white Aborigines, so somebody that didn't look Aboriginal but identified as such so that they could gain political and career clout. Meet the white face of a new black race, the political Aborigine. Meet, say, acclaimed St Kilda artist Bindi Cole, who was raised by her English-Jewish mother yet calls herself Aboriginal but white. She rarely saw her part Aboriginal father and could, in truth, join any one of several ethnic groups, but chose Aboriginal, insisting on racial identity you could not guess from her features. I felt harassed and vilified and humiliated and intimidated, and those things looked like me not wanting to leave the house. Uh, me at times just feeling overwhelmingly emotional for long periods of times of time. It looks like uh, business opportunities, artistic opportunities falling away. It looked like uh, people, friends uh, leaving my world too. So I, I really lost professional standing and personal standing through those articles. Shall I go on? Not yet convinced that there is a whole new fashion in academia, the arts and professional activism to identify as Aboriginal? Not yet convinced that for many of these fair Aborigines, the choice to be Aboriginal can seem almost arbitrary and intensely political, given how many of their ancestors are in fact Caucasian. We get Daniel Browning, host of ABC Radio's Away, programmed for Aborigines, insisting he's Aboriginal when he looks more like one of his West Indian ancestors and could just as correctly claim to be a South Sea Islander, English, Australian or who cares? I was offended, I was humiliated and insulted by the very cursory way he referred to my, my heritage. It's not a joke people's background is not a joke. What I always struggle with is that we chose to be black for the financial benefit, but why we must have rocks in our heads because we choose to be black. What's wrong with us? Isn't that racist? I want to be black. I am black and there's no changing that fact. If I tried to pretend to be white, I would be pulled down by very many members of my family. Now, many of those words were, of course, for Andrew Bolt, and a big thank you to Rod, who's had to voice nearly every conservative that we've had on Just Words episodes. <laughs> I will explain more on that later. Uh, but for the moment, and for a bit more context on 18C itself, uh, please welcome the executive producer of not only Just Words, but also the national current affairs program, The Wire, Emma Lancaster. <laughs> We're getting some feedback here. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. Um, well, well, first off, thank you so much for being here. Who knew we could have almost 100 people attend and watch us make radio and a, a podcast live? Who knew we could do this? I, uh, well, I, I was dubious right up until about seven, I'll admit. Um, 
But you know, the, the, the amazing thing is this series has really surpassed our expectations. We're closing in on 20,000 downloads, which is just <laughs> phenomenal. And, and we also know that there have been a range of people that have listened to this podcast from, you know, an Australian history class. It was played in a high school. Um, we've also had legislation nerds who've told us we've done such a great job because we didn't actually mess up the law or misinterpret it, which they were really surprised a bunch of journalists could do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think even Andrew Bolt has had a listen, or at least his lawyers, so to, to one episode. Yeah. So you've been at the coalface of this pretty much the whole time. I mean, why do you think there's so much fury over some laws that are really meant to prevent people from experiencing harm? Well, look, obviously, um, you know, you would have seen in our series, there are a lot of free speech warriors out there. Um, but I think what's often lost in the debate is that over the past 20 years, this is only a 20-year-old piece of legislation, specifically 18C, less than 2% of cases actually go to a tribunal or go to court. And so they're often resolved um, before having to get there. So at the end of it, after all the episodes, after all the extras we've done, the you having to fly to Melbourne to talk to people, all this, what are your thoughts on 18C? Um, so it's hard to boil down, but yeah. I will for you tonight because we've got much more interesting things to go on to. But, um, you know, for me, 18C, like a law, a law is never going to be a panacea. Um, but also, at the end of the day, this is a law about stopping public race hate speech. And, you know, what's wrong with that? Indeed. Emily Ancosa. Now, thank you very much, Emma. And on that note, I think we should add to the overall sense of jurisprudence ludicrosity around 18C. Whoa, 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 whoa. We cannot afford that. That is no. Can you please play the community radio version of it? Go for it. You'll learn. Court is now in session. As you can see, very honourable Judge Healy presides. Thank you. I can't tell if I'm a judge or an elderly cocker spaniel. This is really quite bad. Uh, look, the defendant is Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. We know that. Uh, wait, who's the victim again? Free speech, Your Honour. Free speech. Do we have a photo? Uh, that's that's Free's peach. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not that. No, no, no. Not quite. That'll do. That'll All right, close enough then. All right, good, 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 good. Uh, look, 18C stands accused of the murder of free speech in Australia. I'll hear the opening statements. Uh, prosecution, if you please. Prosecution to begin! Thank you, Bailiff. Your Honour and members of the jury, free speech has been murdered. No, it may not have been enshrined in our Constitution, but the concept was a clear part of the core set of Australian values that we hold so dear. 
To see such a proud and noble concept cut down so swiftly and cruelly, well, it beggars belief, Your Honour. In this country, we are truly an egalitarian nation, the home, as it were, of the fair go, a robust and profound freedom of expression that should be an intimate and close part of our lives. It should be with us in the pubs, at the barbecues, and on the beaches. Free speech should journey with us each morning to the workplace, to the carpool, and again to the beaches. I should have said that earlier. It should needle the ink into our Southern Cross tattoos, and most of all, help us tie the flag cape of Aussie mateship each Australia day. But no. Free speech lies dead on the ground, cruelly suffocated by the errant hands of 18C. Perhaps the defendant merely sought to stifle our dear mate, to rein in the freedom that was such an integral element of its soul. The road to leftist hell is paved with the political correctness gone mad, Your Honour. Your Honour, I mean... (coughs) Racism, I mean free speech, cannot live without pure freedom. No, free speech has perished. And it is 18C, the red-handed sinister culprit. I, you, we, we have the right to be bigots. George Brandes told me so. Well, Mr President, people do have a right to be bigots, you know. In a free country, people do have rights to say things that other people find offensive or insulting or bigoted. Defence, tell me you got something. Come up here, please. Defence to begin! Well, Your Honour, it's my professional opinion that what you just heard was language warning, bullshit. Complete bullshit. Seriously, what a load of crap. Ignoring the egregious rubbish about this even being close to an egalitarian nation. Ignoring the fact that back in 2005, a gaggle of morons tied on the, how did the prosecution put it, the flag cape of Aussie mateship, then headed to Cronulla to prove the concept of a fair go has been so forgotten in Australia, it might well have never existed. And even ignoring that these concepts of Australian values might just turn out to be as ephemeral as they are ineffable. Ignoring all that. The issue, Your Honour, is that my client, 18C, a valued and trusted part of Australian law, cannot possibly be guilty of killing free speech for one very simple reason. Free speech is alive and well, and indeed, in this very room. (gasps) Gosh, what a twist. Wow. Uh, Look, we'll hear more uh, of that in a moment. Let's take a little bit of a break from the law review style of amateur dramatics and have a look at the real world of 18C cases. Please welcome two of the producers who worked on Just Words, Jake Morecambe and Alan Leavitt. Right, Jake, uh, you worked on the weird, weird case of King Billy Coke Bottle, a uh, white comedian with, uh, shall we say, a penchant for working in blackface. Um, now, look, you had a, a very interesting way of having to track this guy down. I don't know, it was bizarre trying to find someone that seemingly fell off the face of the planet 15 years ago and then trying to re-emerge them as a character or as a person in the episode. 
Um, it kind of started out as in calling pubs in Townsville in Queensland because he actually used to perform at a number of locations around Townsville. And it was so funny because I had a number of conversations with people who were like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Or I remember him. I saw him perform. He was great. Or he wasn't, depending on who I was talking to. Um, but the real, the thing that actually got him was you can stream all this comedian stuff on like Spotify, on Apple Music, and if you haven't listened to the episode, listen to it so you know what I'm talking about. He actually saw attached to the, the recordings or his artist name or something a record label in which his stuff was filtered through. And we're like, oh, okay. Um, and then we looked that up, and then we had to dig like through a back catalogue of ASIC documents to find, oh, this was his business. And then we bought the document, and then they're like, oh, there's a residential address, whoa. And then we sent out a physical letter, which I'm like, I'm relatively young, so that concept to me <laughs> is a little bit benign these days. I'm like, oh my God, Facebook, no. But, um, and so we sent out a physical letter to this guy, and I was on my break at work, walking back from Japanese class, and I get a call on my mobile, and I'm like, Perth? <laughs> Who's in Perth? And then it was Lewis Beers, who, a.k.a. King Billy Coke Bottle, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I have to run back and tell Emma. She's going to be so excited. <laughs> and then he, he was more than happy to have a chat, so we set up a time to do an interview. And I think what got me was clearly more than happy to have a chat because he really does not see that he did anything wrong at all. Yeah, and he really stuck to his guns when we were doing the interview, which went for nearly two hours, and there was a lot of kind of back and forth, asking of the same questions, um, just in a different way. Um, and no, he, he did stick to his guns and he just did not see what he was doing as racist. And it was just interesting to get his two cents and then I think also interesting to listen to the different ways he would then present that to me when I asked him the same question. But it's just interesting stuff. Now, Ellen, you worked on uh, the episode about Prior versus QUT, possibly the most high-profile 18C case out there, arguably the whole reason we're even talking about 18C again. Yes. And uh, you had a bit of a look at just how much uh, coverage that case had got from one particular outlet. Yes, yeah, so The Australian is probably a big part of the reason why we know about this case. So they wrote about 18C, they wrote over 300 articles in 2016, just on section 18C itself. It's it's an extremely high amount, and I'm not just picking on The Australian. I did go and check each newspaper in Australia um, to see how many articles they'd written on Section 18C, and the second highest was the Sydney Morning Herald, and they'd written 70 articles on the on Section 18C. So that just goes to show, um, yeah, just what we were dealing with with The Australian. And when I eventually tracked down one of the journalists who's been quite prolific in um, writing about Section 18C and the Prior and QUT case in particular, he uh, was unashamedly said that the Australian has an ideological standpoint about Section 18C. That if they said, he said, if um, if it's not abolished, then we at least want it changed. Now, it was also an incredibly long case to be talking about <laughs> because you got a little bit of an insight into the kind of stuff that Cindy Pryor had been receiving in the wake of all of that publicity. I did. So Cindy's lawyer passed on a 4,000-page 
affidavit with filled with comments that it, Cindy had been getting as a result of um, on Facebook, on the Australian website, on a number of um, alt right websites as well. And she was she was really copying it. She Cindy personally also sent me some of the messages because I was in was in contact with Cindy prior in the making of the series. We didn't get her on the record, but we were uh, in contact with each other. And she was getting messages to her personal Facebook, um, and she's still getting messages today because she's currently got a GoFundMe campaign to help her um, pay for her legal fees. So she's asking for $14,000. She's currently, I checked today, she's got $2,000. And one of the QUT3 had a GoFundMe campaign a couple of months ago and he raised $60,000. So do what you will with that information. Finally, we're going to hear from producer Nina Kopel. Now, Nina's episode History and Denial uh, launched the series of Just Words back in February. Sadly, she can't be with us here tonight. She's too busy learning to tango and studying for exams. That's her learning to tango up there in Argentina. Uh, How is she did Take some time out of a busy schedule uh, and uh, had a a bit of a reflection on the episode she'd prepared over three months ago now. It's been the most popular episode of the series with over 5,000 downloads just by itself. And like a true radio professional, she recorded on her end of the line in South America, which is why it's going to sound like she's in the room with us right now. Uh, There's like dogs barking and like the sound quality is not going to be great, but this house is not geared for... (laughs) <laughs> anything to do with soundproofness. Actually, if we had done this an hour ago, there were people screaming there was a soccer match. People were absolutely losing their shit. Like, I can't explain it. It was so weird. So anyway, it's better now than an hour ago. Now, yeah. <laughs> Nina tackled the Jones and Tobin case, and uh, Jeremy Jones from that episode is actually with us here tonight. You'll be hearing from him uh, quite soon. It was the first 18C case to do with racial abuse on the internet. Holocaust denier Frederick Tobin was found to have breached the act and was ordered to remove offensive material from the web. Tobin expressed the doubt that the Holocaust ever happened, said it was unlikely there were gas chambers at Auschwitz and claimed Jewish people, for reasons that included financial gain, had exaggerated the amount of people killed. Now, Nina tracked down Tobin and she called the Australia Institute, that's the group run by Tobin, you could easily label them quite happily Holocaust deniers, and during that call she was faced with a a fairly split-second decision on whether to reveal her Jewish heritage. I think that I was, on the one hand, maybe a little bit... I mean, it was an upsetting interview in in the way that I knew that he was someone who genuinely believed that that I and people like me are, like, basically evil. I mean, that's what the whole Jewish conspiracy is based on, is that there is a Jewish conspiracy. And so for me to admit that, I wasn't sure if he would continue talking to me, if he would use that as a way to kind of discredit what I was saying. And on top of that, I just, I kind of really just wanted to let him go. I wanted him to, I wanted to let him say all of the things that he just genuinely thinks and feels so that people could hear just how blatantly ridiculous it is. And it's hard to kind of pinpoint the ridiculousness of what these people think and say because they kind of don't talk logically. They talk in circles and it all kind of, if you step away and you don't really listen to the meaning, it sounds like maybe what they're saying is very intellectual and makes a lot of sense. But in reality, there's no substance. And so I kind of just wanted to expose that. And I worried that if I let my identity and my self get too much in that interview, it would kind of distort his ability to just 
basically be ridiculous. Um, and I guess a little bit of fear as well. I have never been in a situation where I was talking to someone just that in touch with their racism. Well, that got pretty depressing, didn't it? Uh, so let's go back to a bit of courtroom froth and drama. Can I be a big round of applause for Ellen, Jake and Nina, just a couple of the producers of Just Words. You are about to enter the courtroom of Judge Nick Healy. The people are real. The cases are real. The rulings are final. Yes, let's hear the case of the prosecution, please. <clears throat> Your Honour, 18C has long been a serious threat to free speech. Indeed, along with the Human Rights Commission, 18C made a significant, has made significant attempts on the life of the deceased before managing to finally do the deed, as it were. I wish to defer my learned colleague, Queen Counsel, Queen's Counsel Tony Morris, whom you may remember from both Prior and QUT. He represented the three university students accused of online racism. It's bizarre that we have this agency protection only for racist comments. Why, why should there be protection if I'm insulted or humiliated because of my race, but not because I'm homosexual? or disabled, or elderly, or a woman. I mean, it, it is a bizarre piece of legislation. But as things stand in the current climate in Australia, the worst thing you can say about someone in the commercial world, or an organisation like a university, is that they're racist. So hush money is paid to prevent those allegations from ever seeing the light of day. It's not like the settlement of a defamation case where you've got proceedings in court, it's on the public record, everyone knows what's going on, and someone pays a bit of money to settle the case on a commercial basis. It's money being paid to prevent the allegations ever leaking out. And now for Callum Thwaites, pre-free speech warrior QUT and prior defendant, who has had his name dragged through the mud for years, thanks to the wretched 18C. He concurs with his learned counsel, Tony Morris QC. It's just not going to get better. So if, if that's what we want our society to be, then we can keep the law how it is. But if we want people to be free and actually enjoy life instead of wondering about everything they say, waiting for a letter to go into a, a star chamber, as some call it, and be shaken down for money, then, then we keep 18C the way it is. Just be careful with that trigger finger, won't you, brains? <laughs> <clears throat> Tony Morris also has had some very singular comments on the Human Rights Commission, as Labour Senator Graham Perrett found out when asking about them in the Freedom of Speech Inquiry conducted in February of this year. Uh, well, it's, it's obviously an extraordinary submission for its tone, very disparaging comments about a raft of people, including Professor Julian Triggs. Almost everyone mentioned in the 153 pages cops a, a bit of a spray. I, I was very surprised by, I mean, you're a very well-known senior counsel, 
and the tone of your submission attacks public servants in particular. You question the qualifications of the President, Professor Julian Triggs. Indeed. Uh, you question the, the functions. In fact, you make the reference, and I think you use the term literally when, when using it, that the Australian Human Rights Commission's functions are propaganda inspired by Dr Joseph Goebbels. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and it's in the legislation and, and, and that it's propagating... And you say that they are actually your your settled remarks as a senior counsel is that they are involved in blackmail and extortion. Absolutely. That's um. To, to, for a senior counsel to make those comments about a fellow professional, a fellow lawyer, and a statutory body, that's quite quite remarkable. It is. It is, and. I would, would, never, you, would you sorry. say that they're unprofessional comments for a senior member of the Queensland Bar? No, no, they're, they're, they would only be unprofessional if they were unjustified. As you have heard, Your Honour, 18C has it in for free speech. It had the motive, the opportunity, and thanks to the Human Rights Commission, it has been given the murder weapon. Nothing will bring free speech back from the dead, but with the end of 18C, Your Honour, perhaps we can reach some closure as a nation of bigots and begin to heal. The prosecution rests. The prosecution rests! I literally just heard him. Like, I don't even know why you're here. (laughs) And now to hear from the defence, please. Round two, ding, 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 come on, follow it, follow it. Your Honour, not only is free speech alive and well, but thanks to 18D, it's impossible to even murder in the first place. But first, let me address the arguments made by my colleague in the prosecution. Tony Morris QC says that we shouldn't have race discrimination laws because then we would need to have sex, disability and other discrimination laws. That is ludicrous. It is true the race discrimination law was the first piece of legislation introduced in this area and it paved the way for other federal anti-discrimination statutes covering sex, disability and age. How this can be seen as a bad thing is anybody's guess. This law has not only helped to secure the necessary conditions for Aboriginal native title, it has delivered our communities a practical instrument to hold people to account for racial discrimination and vilification. As for Callum Thwaites, the Australian's Australian of the Year, no less, he asked if we want to be free to say whatever we like. Well, yes, we do. But free speech only works if everyone is free. If everyone has an equal voice, then that's great. But we know people don't get an equal share of the conversation in this country. So, and I think we can ignore the clearly ridiculous description of the Human Rights Commission as a star chamber... Yes, we clearly need checks and balances on abusive speech because we don't want a country where free speech is only owned by the loudest voice. 18D is a provision that basically means you can do and say anything. Thanks to this long-forgotten cousin of the accused, cartoonists like Bill Leake could sketch out offensive stereotypes of Indians to his heart's content, and King Billy Cokebottle could pretend to be Aboriginal for as long as he felt like. 18D basically says you can do anything provided the work is artistic or scientific or fair comment on matters of public interest and provided it's said or done reasonably and in good faith. But 
To break the mood of this mock trial for a second, sorry, real life is coming into it, that doesn't mean that 18C isn't important and entirely necessary. Cast your mind back to Harmony Day 2017, a day that's supposed to be about racial tolerance. Instead, it was the very day Malcolm Turnbull and George Brandis chose to announce the proposed watering down of the race-hate laws. This caught the attention of a well-known Australian who has some experience with the awful shit people come out with. Hi, I'm Benjamin Law, and I'm a writer. That's probably the easiest way to describe me. Journalist, author, screenwriter, blah, blah, blah. I think of all days, Harmony Day was just the last straw for me. This debate about 18C had been going on for such a long time, and I think for any Australian who isn't white, which is roughly a third of all Australians, uh, us especially are a bit... We're a little bit baffled about why this has gone on for so long. Um, I think... One of the discussions that isn't being had is the levels of racism within the Australian community. Uh, That's not really being made a priority, and perhaps that's because of the makeup of our parliamentarians. You decided to share your personal stories. You know, why did you think that was necessary? To be honest, when I started the the hashtag, it didn't come from a place of uh, intellectual or legal scholarship. It was just a moment of lunchtime rage. And so I wanted to start a really kind of tongue-in-cheek, ironic hashtag called freedom of speech because that's apparently our biggest priority in Australian, in Australian civic life. So uh, I invited people to start sharing their experiences of everyday racism with this hashtag. So when I started the hashtag, I decided to share a couple of stories from um, both childhood and my recent life. And one of them was when I was growing up in my hometown, very white part of Australia, um, going for a swim at the public pool and just this gang of white boys holding my head underwater while they spewed racial epithets at me. I mean, that, that's kind of an experience that will always stay in your mind. Another story I shared was when I think I was in my late teens or early 20s on the Gold Coast, which when you think about it has high levels of both Asian immigration and tourism, and uh, was out there for friends 21st and a bunch of muscly footy jocks slammed into my shoulder. And I got my back up about it because to be slammed into and to be called a gook is not something that (laughs) I'm really happy taking. And I probably would have gotten smashed that night because they were just about to if I hadn't been out on the town with my own friends who happened to be footy jocks as well. (laughs) And the next time I logged onto Twitter, which was a couple of hours later, it was already trending nationally and I think by the end of the day it was like the number one (laughs) trend or something and that was a really bittersweet feeling because on one hand yeah I've started a conversation but on the other hand it's pretty gutting reading a lot of those stories. What percentage Aboriginal are you? Like you're not just Aboriginal. Set at gala dinner with over 500 ATSI intern students. Hashtag freedom of speech was once spat on outside a synagogue by a man who muttered fucking Jew before walking away. If you don't like it, piss off and go back to where you came from. I'm First Nations. This is my country. I saw a white man on a train spit on a Sudanese man as he called him a monkey. It was horrific. Two months ago, I was walking down the street when a guy shouted out, fuck you, you Chinese bitch, get out of my country. Hashtag freedom of speech.
it just went on and on and uh, it was kind of like by the end of it a, a tidal wave of, of horror and when the question comes up is Australia a racist country? I often think that's a bit of a pointless question. You know, how can a country be um, kind of summarised as such? I think what we need to ask is what types of racism are happening in Australia and how often? Hello, I'm Chris Bonney. I'm Naranga and Gwynj Jamara um, from South Australia and Western Victoria. Um, I am Greta, which is, that's my totem, which is Great White Shark. I'm Kathy Etok. I'm a Gairi and Butchala woman. My people are from central Queensland, um, but I've been raised in Sydney, Western Sydney. I started um, experiencing it, obviously, when I turned 11 or 12, and that's when you start getting targeted. You start getting pulled over by the police, and they will ask you questions like your name, where you live, um, do you have any tattoos and things like that? And we weren't like that at all. Um, well, you know, I wasn't getting tattoos at the age of 11 um, or scars. And then, you know, they would come around and they'll pull you over and they pulled my brother on my, um, while he was riding around on his push, push bike. And they came to my house and asked my mum for the receipts for the push bike. But my mum just told them to get going. But that was the, you know, growing up, it was the first experience of really seeing it because you're growing up into a young man and then you are started experiencing um, the police harassment. I live uh, close to the city and it's a fairly built-up area, so there's a communal bin area. And there is a woman uh, within that area who has repeatedly called out racial slurs and abuse to me um, regarding uh, my fair skin colouring and my Aboriginality. This person was walking next to me and started pushing me, literally started pushing me because there was other people in front. And this is that tunnel, it's really busy, so you can't just, you know. And um, I said, excuse me, why, excuse me, don't push me, and um, blah, blah. And then she called me a black cunt and walked off. That really... Because you know, it makes you really angry, and you feel like just slapping them or having a fight. But it's like that doesn't solve anything. I'm someone with a fair complexion. I'm someone who gets much less racial abuse than people with a with a darker complexion. Is this um, communal bin area where you kind of take your garbage, mm. and you're doing that could be multiple times a week? Yes, that's correct. So you have to go there, and you're anxious about the fact that this particular person might that's, say something. That, that, that's correct, yes. It's several times a week. My, well, I, my blood pressure would raise as, as I take my garbage. Yes, it is something that impacts me there. It does raise, it raises tension, it raises my anxiety. The entire region can hear her. How do you feel when you're subjected to very casual, everyday racism? Uh, it's kind of like death by by 100 paper cuts, you know. Um, those encounters on public transport as well, like the stuff that you see on television, people railing against, you know, Muslims or blacks, Asians or Jews, they're very easily identifiable acts of racism and we should have our backs up about that. But in terms of... Um, everyday experiences you know those those casual jokes like this you're this way because you're greek and oh because you're vietnamese blah 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 uh 
I think when overseas visitors come to Australia, they're often quite taken aback and appalled at how casual we are about our racism. And that's probably a sign that we're still kind of struggling with reconciling ourselves to how racially diverse we are. But it, uh, it's, it's something that um, does affect us. It's, it's, it's something that is there all the time. You feel like you're stepping into a war zone. You, you feel like you're stepping into um, a situation of conflict, which indeed you are. So I have to ready myself before I take the garbage out, which is really an appalling situation. Do you get sick, having, sick of having to explain yeah. this stuff? You know what? It's 2017. And I wonder why, I, I always talk about things and I ask people, why is it that we're in 2017 and we're still got these issues? And those issues are now manifesting in, let's get rid of the racial discrimination act, you know, um, um, sections of it, uh, because people have the freedom, the rights to the freedom of speech. And it's like, racism is not a freedom of speech. You can have, under your own roof, you could be an idiot, you can um, hate women, you can hate Aboriginals, you can hate Muslims. But when you're out in the public space, um, you've got other people there. And those rights, those other people have rights to be free of racism. I've acted for um, hundreds and hundreds of clients over the last 18 years. I've never, ever seen a client subjected to this in my professional life. And I know it's because she's black. And how has this affected Cindy's mental health now? I can't hold a conversation without crying. Is she, is she struggling? I don't know how Cindy gets up in the morning. I worry about her. Are you upset because of what Cindy's had to go through? Are you a person of colour, Ellen? No, I'm, I'm white. Mm, so am I. Can you imagine what it's been like for her children to read these comments? Wrap that black bitch in plastic and drown that black bitch in the sea. Rip that black bitch's ovaries out of her body and throw gasoline on them, make sure this black bitch never, never breeds. Have you read some of them? Can you imagine that there are Australians walking amongst us who harbour that kind of violence? And I can tell you that the only consolation there's been in this entire process is that I was Cindy's lawyer instead of Cindy. That last voice was Susan Moriarty, the legal counsel for Cindy Pryor, the plaintiff from Pryor NQUT. So there you are, Your Honour, free speech. The defence rests. On that note, we're going to keep it in the real world. Uh, look, our special guest for this evening's event has been recognised as a world leader in interfaith dialogue and a champion of human rights. His awards include the Order of Australia the Australian Human Rights Medal and the Stepan Kirk Yesherian AO Medal for Community Harmony. And if you heard our very first Just Words episode, History in Denial, you'll know that his dedication to advocacy goes right back to high school and has continued. In fact, he has filed the most 18C cases in Australia, 
Please welcome Jeremy Jones from the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Council. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I've got to say, does it consistently surprise you how often 18C comes back up for debate in this country? Not really, because there's a real problem. The real problem is racism. And I was thinking, listening to a lot of the earlier discussion, I was talking with Linda Burney, the uh, first woman Indigenous member of the House of Representatives a couple of days ago. She's not much older than me. She said for the first 10 years of her life, she was not counted in the Australian census. When I was growing up, I used to regularly go to Redfern Oval, the holy site very close to here, to watch South Sydney Rabbitohs defeat all comers, as I believe they still do, it, at least in the games I watch on replay. <laughs> and I used to have abuse yelled at me, why don't you go to the soccer, you wog? Because in those days I had hair and it was black and I had a relatively olive complexion and it, there was, this was normal. There was a group in South Australia that was putting out leaflets well before sort of current immigration debate saying, shoot the boats of refugees coming here. A few of the cases I've been involved in with the 18C, using 18C, were people who for many years were promoting racism and saying, we can do it and there's no law against it. There was also the classic case of a a top Islamic cleric who at New South Wales University gave a speech saying the Jews were the cause of all wars, created the Rotary Clubs and Lions Clubs to impose sexual deviancy. So if you go to Lions or Rotary, you know who set them up and what they're about. And in all those cases, people were saying there's no law against it. And there has been a push to try and change those situations. So there is, in addition to education and other matters, there are tools available to people to fight racism. There was a problem. People were trying to fight against that problem. Therefore, we brought in the law. There was an argument to bring in the law in the first place. But there's also a very strong imperative for people to say we want protections on speech. Now, some of it clearly is cynical. They want to be able to be racist. There are other people who are genuinely concerned with restrictions on the media, restrictions on political speech, who want to be able to talk about many subjects, who are able to be swept along with momentum that says, here is something we don't need as an imposition. Now, it's very interesting because in discussions about 18C, I often hear people say... It's some sort of something special to a particular group. 18C, in, in its very general sense, is saying a group of people can be protected even though no single individual is necessarily identified. So before 18C, you couldn't say that I was a thief, but you could say all Jews are thieves and get away with it even though more, there were no legal defence, even though many more people were affected by it. So the logic was, let's give wider protections. It was also giving human beings the sort of protections products have. Because it's interesting, in the parliamentary inquiry, and there have been many on 18C, you hear people say things like, um, well, there are other laws that are legitimate, like laws about false advertising. So, OK, think about it. I can't say that my cornflakes are going to give me more energy during the day unless I can prove it. But I can say, without an 18C protection, I can say a particular individual is going to cause me harm by the mere presence in my community. So the argument is your cornflakes has more rights than you as a human being. 
uh, unless you have some sort of protection like 18C. So, but then if you think the free speech argument's serious, but the problem is there's a problem of racism, there's a genuine issue of free speech which people will bring up from time to time, and there's a third factor which is politicians. Now, politicians, for some reason known best to them, like to win elections. They often feel they can win elections by appealing to certain demographics, and often you find this is internal within the parties, not so much between the different parties. Because I had the experience recently, um, I was what they call an Australia Day ambassador, where you go and travel promoting multiculturalism to different communities on a particular day, which has a very strange connotation for a day of national healing, perhaps, but that's, another, that's for another sort of podcast. But I was in parts of rural New South Wales, and every so often, because this was a live debate, people would come up and say, what do people want to say that they can't say? Why is the government so excited? And these were people who were not ideologues one way or the other. They just couldn't understand what, was on, what people were on about. But what they were on about is appealing to an internal consist, uh, constituency within a political party that says, we demand you get rid of this imposition on free speech. And people know, they, they know that racism is a problem. I don't, I don't think people doubt it. They know that a lot of the changes proposed are not going to really do anything uh, other than make a messy piece of legislation even messier, but they pursue it because they want a victory over their enemies in a culture war. So in this debate about sort of free speech, why does 18D get overlooked, which would seem to be a protection for what so many people are scared they can't say? You know, I found my submission to the time when this law was being introduced, which was before virtually everybody in this room and most listeners of the podcast were born, where I argued against there being something like an 18D because it gave too much freedom. There needed to be something, but it was very broad. The thing is, from the people who are opposing 18C to identify so many exemptions destroys a lot of the argument. So if you were to understand, there was a, there's been a, ca- a case that I'm very familiar with where somebody wrote a play depicting a particular group as being barbaric and inhumane. The setting was wars in southern Europe in the uh, post-communist period. The playwright even admitted he had done this play so people would really hate the other group. That's why he wrote the play. Yet with 18D, he had a complete defence. And in in one of my cases, because it was a work of art, in one of the cases I had before the federal court, before a judge called Judge Healy, actually, in the federal court, (laughs) and and Peter Healy is nothing like you... uh, I won't say he's dignified, respectful, but that would be irrelevant. Uh, but Peter Healy heard a case, and along comes the uh, complainant, and they said, what is your defence? She goes, all of them. This is a work of art, this is truth, uh, uh, world news, relief. And he said, would you like to choose one of these defences for writing the word Jew across the forehead of somebody identified as an anti-apartheid leader when you say apartheid's a good thing? How is this... Uh, art, fair comment. She says it's all of them, but that was her attempt to use 20D, unsuccessful. But that's from... So people don't want to talk about 20D uh, if they realise it gives a lot of defences for people to do all sorts of things. And on the other side of the debate, we do try to talk about 20D and defences, but in a sense, uh, we don't want to tell all those terrible racists out there who might be uh, thinking twice about what they do because of 18C, that they'll probably get away with it. Why would we publicise it? So the 18C debate has died down a little bit. It, is it just going to come back up? Are we going to keep having this debate until some government manages to shift it? It's an interesting question. Look, 
18C is far from perfect legislation by, uh, by any means. I mean, we had the case that was mentioned in the program Nina Koppel did right at the beginning of the series on Holocaust denial. This case went for year after year after year before the person... And I must say, he didn't just talk about Holocaust denial. That was part of it. There was no Holocaust. It was a plot. There was a conspiracy of every academic, every journalist, every first-hand uh, person who went through it, perpetrators, victims observers, they all were part of a conspiracy. That was one plank. Another plank is it was never a Russian revolution. The Jews took over Russia. About 12 of them, but they took over Russia. And the third was that every Jewish person is automatically evil because of a book of Jewish teaching called the Talmud. And uh, this, this went to Madeleine Albright, somebody who didn't even know they were Jewish, until they were, I think, if not a grandmother, certainly could have been by age. Uh, Madeleine Albright was clearly doing everything she did as a child because of the direction of the Talmud. So these were the three parts of the Adelaide Institute uh, that we were complaining about in terms of the racism. But in, in, the case of, uh, in the case of these particular issues and, and with the law, it took year after year after year. We won at every stage before the, finally he went to jail for contempt of court and lost because he refused to do what the court ordered and, and stopped. Everybody else with 18C findings has done the right sort of thing. They've said, yes, there's a judgment against us. We don't want to have, a, have an argument, particularly that's it. And even in cases possibly where people may have wanted to appeal, they've chosen not to for whatever reason. So 18C is not perfect legislation. So there will be arguments and discussion of this law, you would hope, by anybody who is serious about this is one of the many means we, we need to employ to build a better community and a better society in fighting racism. You know, you need a lot more than a law if you're going to do that, but that's, that's part of the package. So there's going to be people who want to improve it. During the last debate, the Shadow Attorney General raised the issue of extending the coverage of the law to take some groups which were clearly communities and people but were defining themselves by religion rather than ethnicity or race or peoplehood. So there was that issue. And then, of course, there are going to be the people who don't want the law to exist. Now, uh, people who, who study the way political movements and societies change and develop uh, can talk with a lot of authority about the idea of a dedicated small minority which doesn't shift and keeps on going over and over again and puts up with defeats along the way until one part of its views accommodated, then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And that is the theory being used by opponents of 18C. Under Tony Abbott, they did not get their way and there was no proposal moved by that government to, uh, for the repeal or change to 18C. Under Malcolm Turnbull, they had enough votes to be able to get the party room to go ahead and move something and... Uh, we discussed this in one of the just words. We had the situation where we had something quite extraordinary. A government introduced a piece of legislation in the Senate, not the House of Representatives, with the likelihood it would lose in the Senate. Why would you do that unless you were worried that you didn't want your members of House of Representatives to have to go to their electorates to say, this is what they did in that particular debate? There's no, to my mind, there's no other logic to it at all. But it means that's a step already. That's progress from opponents of the legislation. And there will be people who want to change it. There are always going to be people who are going to say the free speech, you know, whether they're... Uh, the, a very small party of uh, David Lionhome, and now I think the party's doubled in size because Mark Blake <laughs> supports them, uh, is not a member of parliament. But, you know, they're you know, very small groups, 
or within the mainstream parties. And I can tell you, I know within other parties, uh, certainly within the Labor Party and others, there are people who say this is legislation that's causing a little bit of nervousness as stopping people speak about particular subjects until they're able to come back and explain exactly what the law is. And I can also say one of the problems with 18C and the debate and why it will come up, the three cases, until the case of Andrew Bolt, the case of Bill Leake and the case of QUT and Cindy Pryor, there were all these cases that went through that no one seemed to have an issue with at all. And they're still going. There are still matters that people are bringing, I presume, every day. Every day, somebody is going to find something on the internet. They're going to be, see a leaflet. There's going to be a campaign, and someone is going to say, we need the authority that will give us some sort of recourse, and that is the Human Rights Commission enforcing the 18C. So, so that will go on. But as, when, there are, when there are cases which uh, appear to allow people who want to intervene in another way to oppose the law to get a foothold by saying, yes, here's a commentator who's not allowed to comment about a matter of public importance. Forget the fact the same subject that was covered by Andrew Bolt was covered by Insight about two days later, and there was no issue of dis discussing the matter, so it was specific to the article. The case of Bill Leake being a cartoonist in a, in a newspaper which has been identified as having an interest, of course, that is going to have people motivated... And the case of Cindy Pryor, particularly because of the fact that this was not a successful 18C case, meant people were very concerned about the process as well, process issues. So any case has the potential for people to respond in a way which is going to bring part of the legislation into enough question that there may be people who, who come in and say, great, now we can get rid of it. But it's also, there's so many inconsistencies, and this is why I think the law didn't get through at the, at the, the changes haven't got through so far. And that is, you look at something like defamation law. Well, I don't know how many people in this room have been sued for defamation. I know I have. And it's not particularly nice. People do it sometimes because they want to shut you up on a subject. Even if they're not going to win, they, don't, they want to stop you during a course of a discussion saying something, and you're told by your lawyers that don't repeat what you said because it will be seen as a vendetta by the courts or whatever. So... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't listen because I thought I would win. Which, no, but seriously, it's, it's not nice. But for many months of my life, I had to do a lot of work to defend myself against a defamation case that I knew was wrong. I hadn't defamed the person. I couldn't because the person didn't have a character that I could harm. Uh, no, this is, not, this is le legally, technically what I said. It's not something I'm pretending. David Irving, the British writer, did not have a character of, that uh, could be defended given what we were saying, what I had written about, about him and what, what was out there. But I'm just saying in a situation like this, I know how uncomfortable and how unpleasant it was to be accused and go through that process. Does that mean I don't think there should be defamation laws? Does it mean if somebody is really defamed, they shouldn't have any recourse? No, I don't believe that for a second. And I did not hear that being expressed when people were talking about 18C. They weren't saying, yes, let's get rid of false advertising. Let's get rid of defamation. Let's get rid of a neighbourhood dispute regulation that causes a, a difficulty to the neighbour who hasn't done anything wrong that's being complained about. You never heard that sort of argument because people who understand the law and society know it's ridiculous. In 18C, it was just something else being thrown into the process in an attempt to allow a side to get what they thought was going to be a victory in a war about which direction Australian society should be going in.
Jeremy, thank you very much. A big round of applause, please. Thank you. Look, we'll jump really quickly back to... Um, do you remember we had a court case? Yeah, we're going to talk about that really quickly. Look, uh, you've heard both sides of the arguments. One saying that free speech is dead and buried, just like Peter Dutton's sense of empathy, and one saying that free speech is alive and well, like Tony Abbott's prime ministerial aspirations. Uh, but I'm finding both these arguments in contempt of, I don't know, the Australian public. So I'm throwing a fake case out of fake court. Because here in Australia, free speech can't be dead, and it certainly can't be alive, because... My take on it is it never bloody existed in the first place. It's a bit of a political yowie. It gets glimpsed equally by the gullible and the venal. It's seen by optimists who want to believe the best in Australia and the robber baron politicians who want to use it as a bludgeon for bigotry. Now, we live in an age where the same people who claim that scrutiny under 18C killed a cartoonist can then go and cry blue murder and scream for the blood of a woman who dared slightly question the Anzac legend in a seven-word Facebook post that was quickly deleted. So even ignoring the hypocrisy of it all, let's actually look at the law. We have no protection of free speech in our laws. In fact, according to one expert, we may well be the only democratic nation in the world that does not expressly protect freedom of speech in its national constitution or an enforceable national human rights instrument. That expert is George Williams, Dean of Law from University of New South Wales. So I guess at this point the question is, why have we been talking about 18C for well over an hour? I'm going to leave that to the experts we interviewed in the series to answer that. The idea of law is really interesting and why we have laws in the first place. We have laws significantly for symbolic value. I mean, we have a law against murder, but people still murder. So it's there as a public statement of values, of what a society thinks is permissible. And if you resolve from that, if you say, well, we are repealing 18 CND, the very clear message is the conduct that was once banned is now permissible. Go for it. Say what you like, because people will be thick-skinned. So I think it would be a hugely damaging statement of our social values if we were to abandon it. And the battle, particularly the battle by, um, I guess you'd call them organised racist groups that seek to demean, intimidate, harass and insult people because they want to hurt people. Right? I mean, a lot, of what, a lot of what happens as racism isn't because people want to hurt people and they just don't realise the hurt that they're causing. But people who want to hurt people and organise that because they get their rocks off, really. I mean, they're basically sadists. Right? You know, they, you know, they, they do it because they like doing nasty things. Um, they would be liberated. 18C for me in the Racial Discrimination Act is actually about, in, in many ways, it's, it's this kind of omnibus. It's like a, a watershed for people who have been racially vilified. For anyone who is not from, who's not white, who, who's not used to the protection of the law. You know, if you're from a minority group, you're used to being shafted by the law and to being mistreated by the law. Aboriginal people still die in custody. You know, our record in the, in the legal system, in the justice system, justice in inverted commas, across very many strata of, of society, we're not used to winning. But the Racial Discrimination Act, I think, should be preserved. It was, it's actually a kind of a... It was written in a golden age where, you know, multiculturalism was just the way we thought, was a national ethos. Well, politically it was. And I think a lot of lawmakers realise that in order for us to have the kind of society that we want, occasionally the lawmakers have to stand up and be really visionary rather than just represent the worst of what people actually think. Why should 
Indigenous people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and other minorities tolerate, you know, racial abuse. There needs to be stronger statements by the government. There needs to be education campaigns by the government to, you know, educate them, particularly in relation to the history of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, because racism thrives on ignorance. A very big thank you for joining us tonight for the Audiocraft event of Just Words. I've been your host, Nick Healy. Just Words was created by Anthony Dockerell up the back there. Episodes were produced by Nina Copel, Emma Lancaster, Ellen Liebetter, Jake Morecambe and Anthony Dockerell. Our executive producer was Emma Lancaster, who basically wrangled us all when we needed to be wrangling. Miles Martignoni was our supervising producer. He did the sound design and whatever the hell happened tonight as well. Uh, original theme music and the remix was composed by Joe Koning. Research and assistance by Miles Herbert, Joe Koning, Taylor Fuller and Shane Anderson. Marketing and communication support by Andy Wang. And a special thank you to our podcast doctors, Lawrence Bull and Tim Roxburgh. And thanks also to Tom Kavanagh, who is our in-house legal advice. (laughs) The series was made by 2SER 107.3, oversight by 2SER station manager, Melanie Withnall. And, you know, you can support or donate to 2SER at 2SER.com. Uh, and an extra special thanks to Adrian Walton for the relentless support, both emotional and real. Once again to Emma and Miles for going above and beyond tonight. For the 2SER players uh, for giving life to whatever you just saw. And to poor old bloody Rod Chambers, who uh, has done the voice, as I said, of every single conservative, from Holocaust deniers to Andrew Bolt, uh, and everything in between. And once again, thank you to listening for just words. Uh, listening to just words, we've got a treat for you. Miles, play us out. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs>